Welcome to WKJP News Radio, sponsored by Sherry's A. Use promo code WKJP for 10% off when you ask for Shavana Luge. I am your host, Jordan, here with my enchanting wife, Kayleen. This is the podcast where we talk about the 90s sitcom News Radio. I know too much, and Kayleen knows. a tiny bit. <laughs> nice. Today we'll be talking about Season 1, Episode 6, entitled Luncheon at the Waldorf. So, Kayleen, we like to ask at the top, what have you been watching? Um, I'm still watching Frasier. I don't know what I don't know what my deal is. Are you just jumping around and watching whatever? So I started watching it in the middle of the series, and then I watched to the end. And then when I finished it, I was like, "Well, gotta go back to the beginning." You know why I'm watching it? Because I don't have access to Friends or The Office anymore. Because they're both off of they, right streaming they, services. They both used to be on Netflix, and now they're not. Hmm. And like, I could use Peacock, but no. <laughs> I like Netflix and Hulu, and I have Amazon Prime is fine, but I prefer Netflix and Hulu, and so, yeah, it's not interesting. I'm just still watching Frasier. I I feel like there's no good shows out right now. We're kind of in a weird, I don't know. Um, I am watching Bachelor in Paradise. How's that? It's so good. It's so trashy. I mean, I've told you before that if it were up to me, it would only be Bachelor in Paradise. Bachelor and Bachelorette are stupid, but they need to exist to feed into Bachelor in Paradise. Because Bachelor in Paradise knows it's terrible. It's not trying to be serious. Like, Bachelor and Bachelorette, they actually will say bullshit. Like, well, we know this process can work. <laughs> like... I know the process of dating 20 guys can result in a marriage. I mean, there have been cases of people who have gotten together on The Bachelor and, or Bachelorette and stayed together, aren't there? Not many, but like Very few. two or three. I mean, the track record is not great. Sure. Yes, there are some. And the couples that are together, like, still are, they seem happy. I'm sure they have very normal lives, generally yeah, speaking. I'm just saying, logically speaking, that it is true that we know this process can work. I mean... <laughs> That's not taking into account probabilities. Fair enough. But Bachelor in Paradise is just, it's just the pure drama. And that's what I like about reality television. It somehow seems to me that The Bachelor and Bachelorette are like early season real world road rules uh, where they like kind of take themselves seriously and think of themselves as doing something interesting or high-minded at least for reality tv like a sociological experiment kind of and then bachelor in paradise is kind of like the later season real world where they're just like just get a bunch of good-looking people in a house and get them drunk just get them drunk they'll fight they'll have sex did you know that on the real world the later seasons they actually gave them like businesses to run like they gave them like tasks like you guys are all gonna work at this like the, or maybe I'm thinking of Jersey Shore, but wasn't there one where like they had to have like some type of day to day life that they were like working toward? It wasn't just sit around in a house. So one of the very first seasons of Real World I watched, and the one I was most familiar with was Seattle or Boston. And I know in Seattle they had to work at a radio station, so it was not surprising okay. to me that they had jobs because that was the one I came in on. Huh. Okay, maybe they all, maybe that actually I, was part of the show. It was introduced Always. later. No, it was introduced in the third or fourth season because okay. earlier on they didn't have anything to do, especially in New York, literally. Well, Right. But the thing was, if I recall correctly, in the very early seasons, 
they all like went to their jobs, went to their normal jobs. They just happened to be living in this house. Oh, okay. So like they didn't stop being students or working wherever they were right. working. I'm talking out my ass. I don't know if that's, huh. I don't know if that's. I mean, we could do a whole podcast, Jordan, on reality television. I could talk about the golden days of VH1 and Flavor of Love and I Love Money. I could talk about. Listeners aren't seeing my eyes twitch. I know. I, you married me. <laughs> I could talk about um, there were some shows that were on like ABC and NBC. There was one called Kid Nation where they literally put a bunch of kids mm-hmm. out in the desert with like a ghost town and like had them try to create their own little kid Lord of the Flies yeah. village. Um, even there was a show for a while on TV. I think it was called Utopia where they got a bunch of people together and they put them in kind of like a kind of like off the grid type ranch. And they were trying, it was like a social experiment seeing like, can these people all come together and create an actual utopia where people can live and sustain themselves and live in harmony. And of course it totally fell apart right? <laughs> very quickly. Yeah. I just find that stuff interesting. I like watching humans. I, I find humans interesting. I find human behavior interesting and reality television is trashy, but it's interesting to see how people act when they're put in stressful situations. I, the thing I don't like about reality television is I can tell how mediated it is and I can tell mm-hmm. how highly edited right. it is in order to give it a sense yes. of structure. Yes. And in that sense, I feel manipulated. I don't yeah. feel like I'm watching documentary footage of people behaving normally. Right. Like security cam yes. footage or, you know, hidden camera or things like that. I feel like I'm watching something that somebody put together, like often gave shape to just like not much <laughs> to right, make yes. it seem like yes. there's stuff going on. And that's why it's like, yeah, I know you don't have enough stuff here to make an hour's worth of television. Yeah. So anyway. Um, no, you're right. I feel like reality television, I think in like the beginning days of it, was not scripted, but I'm guessing like they had, they realized quickly that if they don't have some sort of plot line or some sort of, I don't know, plan, there's nothing to watch. Um, and I, I feel like I recognize that a lot more now I can recognize when like, Oh, clearly that conversation actually happened before that conversation, but they're going to show the second one first to make it seem more dramatic or like foreshadowing. I feel like I'm better at recognizing that stuff now. So I have been watching Star Trek, more Star Trek with our oldest. He especially likes Q. Yeah. Which, you know, when I was, well, I I didn't watch it when I was as young as him, but when I was 10 or 11 and watching Star Trek for the first time, Q was one of my favorite characters too, just because he was so clearly like an agent of mischief Mm -hmm. and like kind of a trickster and like, what's he going to do? And also he can... Like a Loki. Very much. And he can do like anything. Mm -hmm. Um, Jordan, what is it like to raise yourself? Yeah, I know. I know. It's like, he's a little Jordan. I get it. Yes, he is. Um, Except the tone of Star Trek episodes varies so wildly. Like, some are so goofy and have such, like, silliness. Like, in the one we watched tonight, like, Data was, like, trying to teach himself how to sneeze. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't understand sneezing, and so, like, we open the scene and he's in the middle. He's looking at himself in the mirror trying to teach himself how to sneeze. (laughs) That's cute. Um, But then in the cute episode we watched the other night, a monster 
person stabs Wesley through the back and you see a shot of the blade coming out of Wesley's stomach. Yeah. And that kind of upset. That's a little much. Yeah, I, I am convinced that was the most violent thing our son has ever seen. Yeah. I feel really oh, bad. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure it is. And so he didn't want to go to bed that night. He actually cried a little bit, like, in my Aww. arms. I know. He was just kind of upset because I think it kept replaying in his mind. When we all, I mean, I, I still remember things that I saw when I was a kid that mm-hmm. maybe I was just a little too young to see. Or, mm-hmm. I mean, even if I wasn't too young to see it, for whatever reason, it just stuck with me and, you know... But then tonight we were watching Star Trek and we were watching the the opening credits and he said he said as Commander Data somebody's playing Commander Data and I was like yeah and he was like I thought Data was a real android oh <laughs> <laughs> so he didn't know yeah he's still he's still he's still at that age where he, I think he has a hard time with like reality and fiction and yeah. And then I went in the other room and I could hear him say to himself, I wish Data were real. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Oh, buddy. So we've still been watching Star Trek. That's kind of a thing he wants to do in the evenings with me right now, which is like, great. If 10-year-old you had only known, you'd be watching it with your son one day. I have also been watching Loki. Mm. I watched all of season one. Speaking Mm. of kind of a trickster Loki type figure. Yeah. Um... It was pretty good. Like, I am not a Marvel Cinematic Universe person at all. Both of us. Like, neither of us is. No. Like, it just does not interest me that much. Um, I've seen some of the bigger ones. Like, I watched Black Panther. Oh, I've never seen Black Panther. You and I... I rented it by myself and watched it, yeah. We went to Thor in the theater, didn't we? Or actually, I think I went to go see Thor. No. No, we went with a group of friends to go see Thor. What had happened was we had just moved here and yeah. a bunch of my coworkers went to see it. And you and I went and we were both just like, what is what, this? What are we doing? Because it wasn't even Thor, it was Thor the Dark World, which right. is, I think, one of, considered one of the lesser ones. But I don't know. I'm we were sure. just trying to make friends. Just trying, yeah. But I've enjoyed Loki. Uh, it's, it's a very strange little series. Basically, Loki gets taken out of his own timeline and brought to this uh, facility called the TVA. I think it's the Mm. Temporal Variance Authority, where anything that varies from one particular timeline Mm -hmm. is taken out Mm. because they want to preserve the integrity of the timeline. So it's all these bureaucrats who are going throughout history removing people who vary from the timeline and then it's all about him. how do they decide what is the timeline they have all this really cool technology and what i like about it is it's got kind of a late 70s style to it so it looks like the kind of bureaucracy that you would see at like in mad men uh n- later than mad men probably okay. about like 10 years later than mad men but it's just very like retro future so that it's like mm-hmm. how do i want to put this if i showed you a still of some of the technology or the scenery in it you would know exactly what i mean it's everything sort of like low and brown and looks kind of like carpet yeah a lot of like carpet and like manila folders and sure. <laughs> <laughs> um like very primitive led screens that sort of thing Hmm. Yeah. One thing that might be of interest to people listening is that in the very first episode of Loki, there is a common plot point with a later season of news radio. 
Well, don't give it away. I'm not going to give it away. Well, it's, it happens in the first episode of Loki. If you've seen all of news radio, you don't have to be very far into Loki to see this. And mm. you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about if you do. Well, la-di-da for you. <laughs> I'm not in the loop. Nope. All right, should we get into the episode? Let's go. All right. So some quick facts about this. This is Season 1, Episode 6, Luncheon at the Waldorf. This aired May 2nd, 1995. So this actually came two weeks after the previous episode. It was written by Brad Isaacs, and it was directed by Peter Baldwin. To put it into context of the 90s, we don't have a new song, but we do have a new number one fiction bestseller. That would be John Grisham's The Rainmaker. I was going to guess Jurassic Park. (laughs) That's Michael Crichton. Right. Yes. But I was thinking, like... Those two are very much yes. tied up in my head. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. God, John Grisham. I never... I don't think I ever read a single John Grisham book, but I had a lot of male friends in, like, middle school that liked John Grisham books. Yeah, I've only ever read one John Grisham book, and I am very confident I did not understand what I was reading, because I read <laughs> it when I was, like, 12 or 13. Like, I... I bet you felt cool reading it, though. Yeah, it was The Partner mm. that came out in 1997, but no, I I did not. I don't think I understood most of what was going on. The only thing I knew about it or understood about it was that the main character had faked his death, mm. which that was the first time I'd ever thought about that as like, huh, oh. so you could like run away and fake your death and everyone just thinks that you've died. Wow. Yeah. So that was the fiction bestseller. And now for the number one film at the box office this week. And that was the film While You Were Sleeping. I just watched that Did recently. you really? Yes, it's on Netflix. I watched it, I mean, a few months ago I watched it. Sandra Bullock. Yeah, can you give me the basics of that movie? I think I know it. I've never seen it. Yeah, I, I actually can. So Sandra Bullock works as a, like, subway, what is it called? Like, take your token? A sandwich artist. No. No, no. Um, So she works as the person at a subway that like takes your token so you can go on the train. And there's this guy who goes through her station all the time that she like kind of has a crush on and is in love with, but he doesn't know she exists. And one day he, I can't remember how, but he falls onto the tracks and goes unconscious and goes into a coma. While she's rescuing him, she says like, oh, I was going to marry him. Um, because I think she rides with him to the hospital in the ambulance. And then the nurse thinks that he's engaged to her. Mm. And then this guy's family all shows up. And the nurse tells them that his fiance is in there. And she's like, but wait, I don't know how... To, like, she doesn't know how to kind of say that she's not actually his fiance. Sure. And then, I mean, I'm going to give a spoiler now. So, guy's in a coma. She's kind of gotten herself tangled in this lie with his family that she's engaged to him but they're super nice to her and so she really likes them and so she just kind of goes along with it and then she ends up falling for the guy's brother Hmm. um and then the guy wakes up from the coma and of course he's like who are you i don't know who you are like and then they all think he has amnesia Hmm. (laughs) and so and then he thinks he has amnesia and so now it's this tangled web of lies, miscommunication. She likes this guy, but she used to like his brother, and it all works out in the end. 
Sounds like a Frasier episode. It kind of does, actually, as I'm saying it. It's a cute movie. There's nothing great about it, but it's cute. That makes it sound a lot more innocent than what I understood of it. Like, I knew the basic premise of, like, woman pretends to be comatose man's fiance. But <laughs> the way it you sounds put like it, it could be a horror film. Exactly right. Or yeah. it sounds like it could be like some sort of thriller where she's like pretending in order to get his fortune or something like that. So no, I didn't she's realize. not calculated at all. She stumbles into uh, the lie. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would say it's a romantic comedy. Sure. Should we get into the actual news radio episode? Let's. let's. All right. Why is Bill the only one going to the broadcaster's luncheon? That is a good question. Yeah, why isn't Catherine going? She's a broadcaster, too. She is. Right? Um, um, so let me start at the top. Okay. Normally, I like to give the synopsis of the episode. This is from Wikipedia. Lisa is worried about Bill's motivation for taking Beth to a broadcaster's luncheon. Well, and then there's also the subplot. Sure. Of Dave and the budget. Dave and the budget. Yeah, that probably didn't merit inclusion in the Wikipedia synopsis. So we come into scene one. We get the plot going right away. Bill asks Beth to attend a luncheon at the Waldorf. Not just any luncheon. The broadcaster's luncheon. Yeah. Fancy. Suit and tie. Well, I wrote down... Black tie. But nothing about this feels fancy. He asks her in such a casual way... Yes. And it's a luncheon. It's not like a big fancy dinner gala. It's mm-hmm. a luncheon. Mm-hmm. It's a black tie luncheon. What, is a, what even is <laughs> That's that? That's a little strange. Yeah. I find it very confusing that he is asking her to go on the same day it is happening. Right. Like he's probably asking her at like 10 a.m. Yes. That's why this, the whole premise of this episode was confusing for me because there is nothing about this that to me indicates any type of romantic date. Like, he asked her right before it happened, it's a luncheon, but it is strange that, like, he it's a apparently fancy black tie luncheon, so mm-hmm. he's wearing a tuxedo, mm-hmm. and she needs to wear evening wear, almost. Yes. Like, although that blue dress, I don't know. Yeah, we'll get to it. Right. But, like, I just wrote, like, nothing about this feels like a romantic date. Hmm. It feels very casual, and like, hey, I'm going to this luncheon, do you want to come along? I kind of think so, too. Yeah. Yeah, I did not see the... I did not see the problem with him asking her, which seems to be just, like, the fundamental supposed tension in the entire episode. Like, it almost... I mean, I feel like the episodes generally take place in one day. Maybe a day or two or three, right. even. It feels like what they should have done is had, like, the them, you know, talk about the broadcaster's luncheon. It's this big deal. It's this big fancy affair. And then he asks Beth... And then there's a whole buildup over a period of days of, yes. is this a date? Is it not a date? What is she supposed to wear? Da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. Then I would almost buy it as like an actual date, but this just feels like there's nothing about it that really feels like he's actually trying to get with her. Yeah. So the only thing I could think of is maybe they wanted to compress it in time to a single day because then they don't have to come up with outfits for right. everyone for multiple <laughs> and like, days. Is for wardrobe. Yeah, for wardrobe. Exactly. <laughs> So I actually like the way that Bill asks what she's doing for lunch. And she says, same thing I'm doing right now, except with yogurt. (laughs) But I was like, does she only have yogurt for lunch? That's not healthy. No. She needs more than, because she was like filing her nails or something. I mean, does she? She's probably, she's very petite. Yes. If anyone could get by on a lunch of just yogurt, it would be someone very petite. 
That's not that's not wrong. <laughs> I just like like yogurt for lunch. Yeah. What? Um, yeah, so Lisa is all up in Beth's business right away, and I... I wrote, Lisa is a busybody. She is a real busybody, yeah. She's asking Beth why she's going on a date with Bill. Um, Beth kind of denies, like you said, that it is a date. I also noticed that she asks Lisa if she can use any nail polish, and then immediately oh, right. sits at Lisa's desk to paint her nails. Oh, and then Lisa also was like, it's in my top drawer. Why do you have nail polish at work? Why does Lisa have nail polish right. at work? If anybody would, you would think it would be Beth and then maybe Catherine. Well, and also, maybe you don't realize this, but the color really matters. Hmm. Right? Like, I guess maybe in the 90s, all you could get was, like, pink and red. Hmm. But, you know, nowadays you can get lots of different colors. But, like... I, it's probably was less limited than that. But there's a lot of different shades of pink, a lot of different shades of red. So... And to me, like, when you choose your nail polish color, especially if it's for something fancy, mm. apparently, you do it to coordinate with your outfit. Mm. Right? So it's weird that she would just take whatever polish Lisa had available and paint her nails. Maybe Lisa yeah. had a whole desk full of lots of different options. <laughs> Maybe. But even so, at this point, Beth doesn't know what she's wearing. Right. Right? She thinks she just, she's going she to wear just, a pantsuit. Yeah. She just thinks she needs nail polish on her fingers, I guess. Yeah. that's fancy. Also, so my initial confusion was that she sits at lisa's desk like if someone sat at my desk at work it would annoy me it actually doesn't strike me as strange at all because beth is exactly the type of person that would do that Mm. she would just be like i'm just gonna sit here now Now i'm gonna come sit over here like she just yeah yeah that just made me secondhand uncomfortable and maybe that's just because you don't want anyone sitting at your desk i have very rigid boundaries maybe i don't know (laughs) i have to call out Matthew's sweater vest. Yep. Yep. Maroon sweater vest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like kind of a cable knit. Yeah. Uh, Matthew clocks right away that uh, Bill is finally making his move because he has been into Beth since the Christmas party where she wore the blue dress. Right, the blue dress. Mm-hmm. So Beth and Matthew kind of banter about the dress. And it's so funny because Beth and Matthew are my least two favorite characters, probably. Mm-hmm. My two least favorite characters. But, oh, my God, their banter back and forth about, like, where she got the dress and how much it was. And then... That is a great dress. Thank you very much. Where did you get that dress? Uh-huh. Guess how much? What? $75. No way. Oh, my, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Italian. Italian made or Italian design? Ladies. When, when Matthew says, Italian made or Italian design, like, oh, my God, I just thought that was so funny. And not only did I laugh both times I watched it, but then I thought about it. <laughs> later and laughed nice i know like i just like the way he's and you know what it is i actually wrote it reminds me of the real housewives of new york Mm. like when women get together and just like start squawking about something (laughs) back and forth and maybe it's because i've been in conversations like that too where it's like oh really yeah tell me more Mm -hmm." like i just love it yeah (laughs) so it made me really happy nice i have a feeling i'm gonna say to you sometime (laughs) just randomly italian made or italian design (laughs) I'm glad you like that. Yeah, I remember that line, but it didn't strike me quite as funny. Um, I thought it was kind of funny that uh, Beth says the dress shows off her bazooms. I thought she said brassiers. It shows off her brassiers? I thought that's what she said, and then I remember thinking that doesn't make sense. But maybe I was just... Well, it was a style in the 90s to wear one bra on each breast. So that you're wearing two bras. Okay, it it was a style for a while to wear two bras. That was a real thing. You would wear two bras to really push up your boobs. I didn't know that. Yeah. Was that a style or was that a like functional like I mean 
that's on the order of stuffing your There was bra. a time when, like, you would buy, like, brightly colored bras, like pink or yellow, because mm-hmm. they would be, you would, like, they would be visible out the top of your, like, tank top. Mm-hmm. I mean, I never wore this, but I used to remember thinking it looked cool. Hmm. No, she definitely says it shows off her bazooms. And oh, okay. the word bazooms strikes me as very, like, network TV funny in the 90s. Mm. Like, kind of comical words for breasts. Because they can't say the word breast. I don't... I don't or even know... boobs. Yeah, I don't... They wouldn't say boobs, probably. They probably wouldn't say breasts. Maybe they could. But yeah, the idea of using bazooms just struck me as a, a very 90s. Lisa says to Beth... I just don't think that you should let Bill pressure you into doing anything that you do not want to do. What is this, an episode of Blossom? (laughs) I kind of smirked at that. That's kind of funny. And I like the way the first scene ends when Dave walks by and he says, couldn't you guys just pretend to work when I walk by? Yeah, you laughed at that both times. And both times I was like, it seems too easy. I feel like Dave in my life. Sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes. <laughs> and this is not that I am a boss or have to manage people or anything, but this is couldn't you just couldn't you guys just pretend? <laughs> so we get the credits. Um I just want to point out how happy this theme song makes me. It just rings some bells in my head that just Aww, like that's nice. I am just very happy to hear this theme song. It feels like I am in the right place yeah. and everything is right with the world. That's nice. In scene two, Mr. James is on the phone with it turns out, Dave's mom. Who has their mom on speed dial? <laughs> At work. At work. I mean, I guess, like, yeah, on your home phone in the 90s, you probably did have your family members on speed dial. But, like, at your job? It was a subplot of a Seinfeld episode because the speed dial is the relationship barometer. Right, and then you move up the uh, <laughs> yeah. move up the numbers. Yep. I remember having friends on speed dial in the 90s. Mm -hmm. I remember asking my parents if I could put my friends on speed dial. Yep. Uh, I have to point out, Dave is wearing a very ugly red tie. It's just something about that, like, color of red plus that pattern. Just... Hmm, I didn't notice it. I wrote down that Lisa is a totem of mauve. (laughs) Her skirt, her sweater, and her shirt are all mauve. Mauve. And it is such an unflattering color. So I wondered about this. I wondered if that was a deliberate choice to contrast how, like, drab and frumpy she looks with how fancy and glammed up Beth is when she comes in with the dress. I wondered if they wanted to highlight that contrast. But Lisa always wears, like, long, flowy skirts, which, again, was kind of a 90s thing. Like, long, kind of dumpy sweaters and, like, very flat, colored, plain shirts but you're right that in terms of color palette this was the most muted right nothing color i mean they're all the same pretty much they're very similar yeah uh so the subplot like you said is that dave has found that there is a six thousand dollar wnyx is six thousand dollars over budget and so for the rest of the episode he is trying to find where that six thousand dollars went um one thing i wanted to know was even if we've agreed that Bill is asking Beth early in the morning to go to this luncheon, is she's going to go home and change into the dress and come back to work. Mm-hmm. That presumes that she lives close enough that that makes any sense whatsoever. Yeah, that's true. And then unless Bill has a tuxedo stashed somewhere, does he go home and change well? As no, well? I, would think, I would think Bill had planned on going to this, so he brought it to work. That makes sense. Yeah. Because he knew he was going. Yeah. 
but he must expect Beth to go home, get dolled up, and come back. That's what he's asking her to yes. do. Yeah, when he asked her to go. I mean, I just know hearing secondhand from people who live in New York that sometimes you live, you know, Far a 45-minute train ride away right. to come into Manhattan to work. That's true. Like, can these people afford to live in Manhattan? This just must have been a different scenario in the mid-90s. I don't know. This is like friend's land. Well, right. Like, yes. Yeah. Bill asks Beth what she'll be wearing. And uh, this made me laugh out loud. Um, Bill walks over and talks to Beth. Ready for the ball, Cinderella? Beth's not so sure she wants to go anymore, Bill. Hi, Lisa. Anyway. Actually, I'm running home to change right now. Like, it's the really dismissive way that he says, hi, Lisa. Like, yes, I know you're there. I know you're talking to me, but I'm not interested in you at all. Um, That was really funny to me. Beth mentions that she's going to wear a pantsuit that she got at the Salvation Army for $7. Guess. Okay. She asked Matthew to guess. $8. Seven. Seven. And all for a good cause. Yeah. As he's walking away, Bill says, what about that blue dress? Her face was pretty funny. Yeah. In the next scene, Lisa and Dave are in Dave's office. She's kind of fretting about this um, lunch that Beth is having with Bill. Well, I just think it's disgusting the way he's hitting on her, that's all. Oh, come on, Lisa. They're just going to lunch, you know? Everybody goes to lunch. You and I go to lunch. (laughs) Yeah, in my apartment. (laughs) And we don't eat. (laughs) True enough, but at least we're staying trim. Keeling is rolling her eyes. I just don't find these jokes as funny as you. <laughs> I'm not saying I found that hilarious. I just thought, like, it's a it's a worthwhile point. Anyway, Dave is looking into the budget, and he asks a math question. It turns out that Lisa can do mental math. She can. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. I had, like, obviously had the Rain Man come out yet. Yeah, Rain Man was, like, 89. Right. So it felt a little, like, I don't know, a nod to that, maybe. Maybe. She's a big hit at parties. I mean, I would think that's cool. I would think, I think it is cool as well. I, I, although I kind of don't buy it for her character. I don't know. I buy it perfectly for her character, but I can understand why you don't yet. I think it falls perfectly in line with the things we learn later, later about her in the series. Hmm. Although, like, when you see people doing mental math like that, that can just, like, rattle off numbers. I, I felt like she just almost did it too fast. Like she almost didn't even listen to what the numbers were. I do think if you were actually going to calculate in your head that quickly, you'd have to, it would take you at least a second to at least hear and think it through for a moment. But I'm not sure about that. When I have heard of people who can do this sort of thing, especially savants, people who just know the answer, there is no phenomenology of doing the math in their head. They just see or just know the answer. She doesn't seem like a savant, though. I agree. She doesn't seem like a savant. So she seems like someone who has practiced this skill. Who's like very good, just happens to be good at it. Yes, or or has practiced it, you know, her whole life to get good at it. But she doesn't seem like a savant. But um, there are people who can just come to the answer and the way they describe the experience of it. It's not that they are going through the calculations in any way they just the answer just comes to them or appears Mm. to them Mm. so dave mentions the budget overrun and lisa says oh dave don't ask me to snitch on my co-workers okay lisa i never asked you to snitch on but a name just popped in your head didn't it oh come on who is it come on come on help me i can't do this please lisa give me something anything all right check the phone bill what (laughs) 
Check the phone bill. I just want to point out that all of the ornamentation in Dave's office is bronze slash gold. Hmm. In a way that seems very mid-90s, but is also just really garish to me. Yeah. Well, his office is so... Br- and the whole color scheme for this show is, like, vomity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that changes in the next season or two. So I think one of the things that's happening here, as far as I can tell, is that they're they're filming on, like, an older or lower quality stock of film or something, and that's why it looks so kind of, like, fuzzy and grainy. Mm. It really gets cleaner and clearer looking with later seasons. But I don't know if you've noticed that everything just kind of looks like that that gauzy sort of like no no well-defined edges on any objects or anything like that. Hmm, mm. I haven't noticed that. I just like everything is like warm tones of like brown and red-orange and mauve. Mm. Okay, so Dave goes out to find Matthew sitting at his desk on the phone giggling. Uh, it turns out Matthew is talking to someone in French. Je veux téléphoner un autre temps. Quoi? Parskimone supervisor et Oui. Au revoir. I did like that Matthew speaks French. Do you know what he said? No. I bet you do, though. So it's not very complex French, and I... That's good, because I don't speak French very well, but he says, um... And I'm not gonna try to do it, but he says, I will call you another time. Why? Because my boss is here. Yes, goodbye. Hmm. And he does not have a very good accent. Um, so he has a very, like, flat Midwest United States accent for his French. Hmm. I just thought it was funny. Parska mon supervisor etc. Anyway, so he must be talking to someone long distance is the idea. Yeah, it got me thinking about, I remember long distance phone calls being a thing. Like, we couldn't talk to my grandma on the phone for very long because it was expensive. yes. I once talked to a friend in Tennessee, this, I guess I must have been in high school, like 16, 17, and I talked to a friend in Tennessee for like an hour and a half, Mm -hmm. and my dad was like, an hour and a half? Phone call to Tennessee? (sighs) Sorry. So then Matthew snitches on Catherine and her use of the corporate account for her hair salon. So that is where Dave is going to look next. I just have a note here that Beardy is still around. He's Mm -hmm. not noticeable, but he's in the background. He walks through scenes now and then. Hmm. Bill comes out in a tuxedo. Lisa says he looks kind of sleazy, so he adds a boutonniere, and I just really like the way he kind of, I don't even know what that pose is, like sticks his hands up in the air, like jazz hands almost, like, ha here I am. I think he looks like he's going to go be auctioned off as a date. Hmm. Like, one of those things where women bid on men yeah. for a date. That's what he looks like. I There's wrote, a term for that. What is the term for that? Bachelor auction? Sure. Probably. It happens at the end of Groundhog Day. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I wrote a tux for lunch. Right. Again, like, what is this? And then I wrote, he got her a corsage. What is this prom and a limo? Like, yeah. again, it sounds like this is, not a fancy thing like broadcaster's luncheon. It sounds like a meeting of people who work in radio. Hmm. It's not an award show. It's not an award show, no. Right. So, like, what is this event? I don't understand. Yeah, I don't either. Yeah, the boutonniere and corsage is a little bit much. A lot bit much. 
what what I'm going to say is that I just don't think he looks sleazy. I don't feel like no. that is the correct term. He like, looks cheesy. Mm, cheesy would be a better word. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he looks like he belongs at a casino. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Or that he's a magician. Or a magician. Yeah. He seems like somebody who would be in like the background of a casino scene in James Bond. Mm. I do like this exchange. Um, Lisa questions Bill's taking Beth to the luncheon, and Bill says, So, the claws come out. Yeah! I hate that. Every woman I think I've ever known hates the, like, it's rare just, it's kind so, of... It's stupid, because every man thinks it's, like, funny and clever, and mm-hmm. it's dumb. Because I think every man, when two women start to fight, they kind of secretly hope they'll start kissing or something. It's so dumb. Right? Tell I, me I'm wrong. I, 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 uh, 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 mm-hmm. uh. Mm-hmm. No, I don't, I don't think that I, I have had enough female friends in my life really hate the like whole meow. Like cat fight. Cat thing. fight thing yeah. that I know not to say anything like that. I don't think it's like that funny or that not funny or offensive, but whatever. I did like the fact that Bill said, if it makes you feel any better, you were my third choice. <laughs> do you, who do you think is the second choice? I, I did wonder that. Catherine. I actually thought Dave. Dave would look great in that dress. Well, I mean, like, it's like, again, this should just be a casual lunch. It doesn't need to be a date. Joe? No. Bill wouldn't take Joe. Matthew? No. He wouldn't take Matthew. Catherine. Yeah, Catherine. I mean, why wasn't Catherine invited? Maybe she was. Maybe she couldn't make it. Maybe she knows it's a cheesy, stupid event. Somebody's got to be on the air. Is Waldorf really that fancy? I don't know. New York listeners, write in. <laughs> tweeted us. Let us <laughs> like know. anyone's listening in New York. So Bill has another good line, which uh, did make you laugh. Why don't we all just settle down, all right? <laughs> it's okay, okay Chief. Show me a woman who isn't jealous of another woman, and I'll show you a man. Okay, that made me laugh the first time. And then the second time, I thought, that's kind of... I don't like that line. Okay, go on. I just, like, I don't like when men enjoy pitting women against each other. Women are already mean enough at each other as it is. So anytime a man is like, women like to fight, and I like that they (laughs) fight. I'm just like, shut up. I mean, doesn't that kind of prove the point? Right. Is that women... Like, all women are jealous of each other. Sure. All I'm saying is, it is at least not the trope that men are jealous of each other like men might not like each other men might fight each other physically or otherwise men might backstab each other but men aren't like jealous of each other i actually think men are jealous of each other they're just not in touch enough with their emotions to realize they're jealous they'll Mm. just be like i don't like that guy Mm. because they won't dig deep enough to realize that actually you don't hate him there's nothing about him you don't really like it's just that you want what he has Mm. I think maybe a lot of women also don't realize that they're jealous. They'll just say horrible things about each other behind their backs. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not everyone is as uh, enlightened and self-aware as we are. It's true. I know. It's just really sad. Years of therapy. Mm -hmm. Highly recommend. So Dave tries to cool Lisa down. You want to get into it? We can get into it. Uh, Lisa, 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 before you get into it, which I assume involves punching Bill in the head, why don't you just you know, go over there, take a moment, count to 2,000, maybe calculate the square root. 44.722. I actually did the 
math, and it, it is the square root of 2,000. I mean, I figured it was. 44.722. And then Bill has another line. College girls. <laughs> I just like that it's a callback to... Um, right. Did he say that, say that in a different episode? He said that in episode three, smoking. Yep. Right. Yep. So Beth comes in in the blue dress. Everyone kind of goes speechless. I like that Lisa tries to, like, pull it down so that it's not so high. And she says, it doesn't get any lower. This is a really not flattering dress. Really? Yeah, no. She has a nice body. And I get even for the 90s, I guess maybe it was more in style in the 90s. But I just felt like it didn't flatter her, I felt like. Hmm. It felt like saran, like blue saran wrapped on her. Hmm. It did show up her bazooms, I thought. It... <laughs> what are you looking at those for? It's part of the show. <laughs> it's for science. It's science. This is my job, Kaylee. <laughs> uh, one thing that I noticed was like, I can't tell whether, I can't tell when Beth's hair is done or not done. Right? Her hair looked exactly the same. Yes, it did. She just puts random clips in it. Yes. I know. Uh, so, like, with Catherine's, which is coming up, it's clearly, like, very fabulous and well done. Right. But Beth's hair looked exactly the same when she was just wearing, like, a slouchy sweater as when she got, like, dressed up for the luncheon. Yeah. So I don't understand that. Yeah. In the next scene, it's 3 p.m. Bill and Beth are still not back from the luncheon. Dave says, I guess I better go out on the front porch and wait with my shotgun. Dave confronts Catherine about charging her hair salon visits to the corporate account. Look, it's right here. Oh, Cherise. That's the salon that does my hair. Oh, um, okay, maybe this is a stupid question, but why, why is the station paying $200 a visit for uh, Cherise? Ches- 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 Thank you to do your hair. Cherise doesn't do my hair. Cherise's assistant does my hair. Shavana Luge. So the joke here is that Dave cannot pronounce the words. Or the names. Or the names. And Kayleen, you had some thoughts about this. Well, I just felt like, again, that to me that joke didn't age well. In 2021, like making fun of what you would presume to be an African-American name, is that's, that's not cool now. And it wasn't cool then, but I feel like that was a thing in the 90s. It was like funny to, oh, this isn't a white person's name. Yes. And he clearly can't say Black it. Black people have crazy names. Right. Yes. Yes, exactly. That, so I didn't think that was the joke here. I, I don't think the joke was that Dave is like, those are some crazy names. I think the joke was on Dave that he like doesn't know how to pronounce them. Isn't that the joke? But even that is like, because they're so crazy, I can't pronounce them. Like, they're not even real names. I thought the joke was on Dave. I thought he was the butt of the joke. Like, Dave, you dummy, you can't even say Charisse. Or oh. Char- you can't even say Charisse. You can't even say Siobhan Luge. I mean, the name Siobhan Luge reminds me of like a, it feels like it should be like a, somebody in the Winter Olympics. Siobhan <laughs> Luge. Luge. Isn't yeah. that like a Winter Olympic yeah. sport? Yeah. 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 I did really like Catherine's suit. It was like a red plaid wool. I wrote it looks warm. <laughs> yeah. She just looked very like professionally put together. Also like red plaid. I feel like it was very popular in the 90s. Right. right? Like, uh, in fashion. Uh, Beth comes in. She looks very upset. Um, but she doesn't look so upset that it justifies in my mind how 
everyone is treating her. Like, she looks upset, but she doesn't look, like, distraught. And so everybody just stops what they're doing when she comes in, and they're like, but I don't think those things quite matched. I mean, I'm guessing the worry, I mean, Lisa's worry was that Bill was going to take advantage of her, and now she comes in, and she's clearly not happy, so, like, that's what she thinks has happened. I I agree that's Lisa's worry. I just don't... Right, or maybe everybody's interested because they know Lisa's worry. That could be. Yep. Uh, Lisa asks Bill... Why did Beth just walk in here on the verge of tears? And he says, maybe it was Rush Limbaugh's keynote speech. Uh, So then there's a situation where Lisa is basically accusing Bill of doing exactly what she thought he was going to do. And I like Matthews. Boo, Bill. Boo. And then it turns out that he didn't. Beth insists that Bill didn't do anything wrong. And Matthew goes, yay, Bill. Yay. (laughs) I didn't catch that. And then... Lisa, uh, Bill turns it around on Lisa and is mad at her for accusing him. And Matthew says, Ooh, Lisa. <laughs> Did you not catch that? I just no. thought it was funny. No. Uh, you pointed this out as well, but Joe has basically nothing to do in this episode. He gets exactly one line, and I think you wrote it down. I did write it down. Don't look at me, man. <laughs> I want to know how much he got paid to say that line. <laughs> I mean, it's the mid-90s. I don't know. A few hundred dollars. Yeah. Hopefully more than that. All right. In the next scene, Beth admits that she kissed Bill in the limo. She's kind of riding out the situation in Dave's office. Uh, Dave asks, why in the world would you do a thing like that? Uh, Lisa asks if he kissed her back. And she said, Lisa, it was like his tongue disappeared. I got nothing but air. Maybe he slipped me some Spanish fly. That was a that was a lull for me. Why was that? I don't know. Just because the idea of Spanish fly feels so dated and silly, and like it's not a real thing. And um, I like that Dave says, "Oh, that's not real, is it?" Actually, I've never been clear on that because, like, yeah, that's that was the status of me throughout the nineties and two thousands. Oh, it was sure. like, is this a this is a that's an urban myth, right? That's yes, not a thing. It's an urban myth. Yeah. Everybody else comes in to check on how Beth is doing, and Beth says that she kissed Bill, and both Matthew and Catherine independently say, on purpose. I really like the delivery slash misdirection of the publisher's clearinghouse line when he finds out that Beth has been ordering all these magazines. All right, look, Beth, I know you've had a rough day. I know this has been very hard on you, and I know you've heard this before, but I'm going to say it again because it's important, all right? You do not have to subscribe in order to be eligible for the publisher's clearance. You are so naive, Dad. You think he's going to say something really sweet and like helpful about Beth's situation, oh. about being uh, doing something she's embarrassed about, but then he's just saying you don't have to subscribe in order to be eligible. Bill says to Lisa that he thinks she owes him an apology, and he really milks the situation. Bill explains how violated he feels, and he says the line, She Frenched me. She Frenched me, Lisa. That made me laugh. Yeah, yes, it did. It made you laugh both times. Yes. Um, and then he has an extended uh, metaphor about taking your daughter to the fair and buying her cotton candy. That was disgusting. <laughs> I love how uncomfortable Lisa is throughout the whole thing. Um, and I just, I am just amazed at Phil Hartman's ability to keep a straight face during that whole speech. They have a fairly tight close-up on his upper body and face when he's saying sure. that. How could she do that, Lisa? 
How could oh, she? don't even say it. Don't. <laughs> it's so, like, blech. But the, the whole point is, like, I'm amazed that he was able to say that with a straight face. Sure. Uh, Bill goes into Dave's office to talk to Beth. This scene, honestly, really drags for me. I just feel like it's not that funny, and it just kind of goes on and on. I mean, I said to you, I thought it was, the whole scene felt like a f- funny take on the gender double standard, right? Because if... Bill had done any of that to Beth, yes. which is what Lisa was worried about. Yes. Um, it would not be funny. Like, that's not cool. That would be sexual assault. But somehow when a woman does it to a man, it's funny, apparently. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to get a read on in this episode is like, right. was this funny or surprising or groundbreaking in the 90s? Because it felt right. less so to me watching it in 2021. No, it felt like they were just trying to make it as like a joke. Like, oh, wouldn't that be funny if a woman did this to a man? That would be funny. It. W- I don't think it was them trying to make a commentary on gender double standards. You don't think so? No. Hmm. I mean, maybe as like a... That did not feel like the primary purpose of this plot. Yeah. Don't you think the humor of the situation depends on that cultural asymmetry that it would... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the whole joke of it, mm-hmm. right? But the So you're saying that it's... It can be funny without also trying to be a commentary on the cultural right. asymmetry well, that it builds on. Part of why it's funny is because we all have a kind of common understanding and like what makes this funny is that women don't have as much power as men. Women can't overpower men. Yeah. So ha ha ha. <laughs> like, you know, Bill couldn't be um, hurt or, you know, assaulted or traumatized by it because obviously he has more power than her. Mm-hmm. So that's what makes it funny, mm-hmm. you know, but it's also playing with the reversal of expectations, right? Because right, the exactly. expectation on everybody's part is that if anything right. is going to happen, it's going to be Bill doing this to Beth. If anyone's going to assault anyone, obviously it'll be a man doing it to a woman. Cause I mean, that's what they do. <laughs> I don't know about the, that's what they do part, but like, that's not surprising. Um, I thought that Beth's, apology slash non-apology was some really good acting i just thought she did Mm -hmm. a really good job of emoting and articulating like the i'm really very sorry yeah i felt like this episode made me like beth more i had a feeling it would I, i feel like this was a really nice showcase for beth in a way that we haven't had a chance to showcase her before. So one of your complaints has been in the past that, like, she just doesn't have anything to do. She just sits at her desk and watches everybody go around and make snarky comments. And, like, here she really has something to do. She is the focal point of the whole episode. I do still feel like she is a very one-dimensional character, though. Mm -hmm. That's fair. But, yeah, I mean, I liked seeing her doing something. I I also do not buy that Bill would be attracted to her or want to ask her on a date. Like... They just do not seem like a... In fact, all the romantic couplings, I do not buy that Dave and Lisa are a romantic couple. Like, they just talk about how they have sex, like, oh, we just have sex on our lunch break. And I'm just in my head thinking, no, you don't. <laughs> like, they're just, like, I don't know if that is a fault of the actors, because I don't buy their acting, or if it's a fault of, like, the character development, that I don't buy that their characters would just be sleeping with each other right now. But, yeah, I would not buy that Bill would want to... If it was like Bill had hooked up with Beth and they had a drunken makeout session at the Christmas party, I would maybe buy that. But the idea that he would ask her out on a date and try to like hook up with her at a luncheon, 
No. So two things to say about that. One is I definitely buy Dave and Lisa, and that is partly because I know where the rest of the right. series goes, sure. and I have an understanding of why they are so attracted to each other, and sure. so I do buy their chemistry. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think their chemistry is, like, fundamental to the show, and I, like, get it and appreciate it. Are you offended when I say stuff like that? I just, I just disagree. <laughs> like, you know... Uh, I'm interested in your opinions in this show because you're coming to it with such fresh eyes. But like, that is one where I'm like, no, I feel the, I feel the chemistry there. And Mm. maybe I'm reading back from what I know in the future. I was going to say, are you willing to concede that the reason you think there's chemistry is because you've seen where it goes, but in the first season, there maybe isn't actually any chemistry or very little. There might be less than I'm giving them credit for. Sure. Yeah. And the second thing I wanted to say is just that, um, well, this goes to your point earlier that you didn't feel like Bill was asking her out on a date. You felt like this asking her to the luncheon thing was not a romantic or sexual overture. Right. So I agree with you. Yeah. That, so, so it is, if you're saying that Bill asking Beth to the luncheon is not a romantic or sexual gesture, then it's totally fine that it's not plausible that he would be trying to hook up with her. Right. That's what, like, when Lisa was so concerned about it, I was like, I don't think that's what he's trying to do. I actually feel like it would have been, it would have been more convincing if he hadn't asked her to wear the blue dress. Yes. You know what I mean? Because it felt like there was some mixed signals there. Like, he asked her, but it was casual, but then he asked her to wear something in particular that was, like, really revealing. Yep. Um... But then again, who knows, like maybe he was asking her as a date because he wanted to like show her off or be like, look at this attractive woman with me or whatever. Um, Yeah. The main thing to take away from this scene is that Bill doesn't know if he'll feel safe around Beth from now on, given that she has done this to him. And again, it felt like this is making a joke about like women who don't feel safe around men that like come on to them or, you know what I mean? Like. Ha ha ha, a man, a man not feeling safe around a woman. Huh, impossible. Yeah. Because it's not like she can do anything to actually hurt him, you know. But like the joke is that often women, when they've been assaulted by men, they don't feel safe around them anymore. I guess I would just like you to be a little bit clearer about what you think the joke is. Is Is the joke that Bill is like making a commentary on like I should be in. I should be as entitled to feel violated and uncomfortable as a woman would be in the same situation. that. It's that he's sort of like, I should be entitled to say that I feel unsafe. But we can all joke about it and laugh because obviously he wouldn't really feel unsafe because what is Beth going to do to him? Because she's a woman. I don't feel like this... I guess my point is that I don't feel like this episode is is making any sort of jab at women who actually legitimately do feel violated or uncomfortable or unsafe. I don't feel like it's making that point like, yeah, I mean, see how silly it is when Beth does it to Bill? That's how it should, that's how it is when, you know, a man actually does it to a woman. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I feel like if I were somebody who had been assaulted, I would maybe have a different take on some a situation like this. Yeah. You know, but... In the next scene, Bill and Beth are by the elevator. Bill kind of tells her that he keeps just milking the situation and he keeps saying, like, listen, I can understand why it happened. You know, I'm me and 
that's not a crime, but maybe it should be. And the one thing I really liked is Beth has this weird little stifled growl when he says that. She kind of goes, I don't know if you caught that, but he's just like driving her up the wall. And so you could just tell that she's just like trying to keep it all together while he goes on and on about like, listen, I just, I can't blame you for throwing yourself at me. I just wrote that she has a huge coat on. Yes, she does. Over that tiny dress. Yeah. Like that is a huge trench coat. Yeah. Yeah. So of course, Bill thinks that he is irresistible. Like from everything we know about Bill, it totally makes sense that he would think like, yeah, why wouldn't a woman be unable to keep her hands off me? So uh, there's that weird tension but in this episode between him saying, like, I feel so violated because this was totally platonic and she took advantage of me versus, well, of course I'm irresistible. Like, you know, no woman could keep her hands off me if she right. wanted to. And right. it sort of feels like they can't quite decide which of those angles they want to go with. I guess I would have assumed it would be the latter because that feeds into Bill's ego. Right. And as we know, he's an egomaniac. Right. Last question. Why didn't Beth change out of the dress? Well, she went home to change and then she wore it to work. Although, yeah, you you think she would take an extra outfit or something. Or, but, well, they got home at, they got back to the office at, what, 3 o'clock? Yeah. 3.30 or something. So you would think that, yeah. You would have thought that she would bring a change of clothes and Right. When she came Just back. leave it at the office or yeah. something. In the final scene, Mr. James and Dave are in Dave's office. Dave points out that um, they had some abuse of the company card, like charging things to a salon, and Mr. James thinks it was Matthew. <laughs> I know that made you laugh. Yeah, that did make me laugh. Yeah, that was um, maybe along with the ladies comment. Those are the first two jokes we get about the idea that Matthew may be gay. Oh, I didn't think about him going to a hair salon as being him being gay. Well, it's certainly effeminate. I I thought of it as a joke because he doesn't have, like, a nice hair. Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> like, of course it's not him going to a salon because it's not like he has a fancy do or anything like that. Oh, okay. See, I took it as uh, Matthew and Beth are both gabbing about the dresses and then Mr. James... Oh, I didn't think about Matthew, him. I didn't think about him getting about the guess. The dresses was gay either. Those are both very stereotypically I mean, effeminate. In the nineties, I guess maybe that would have been like an indicator of that. But I don't know that. The, so that's a motif we're going to see recur throughout the series. Sure. Is kind of hints that uh, Matthew is a little. Again, that feels like a very nineties thing, though, to like make fun of a guy who isn't like a stereotypical man. Sure. Like he's gay. Sure. You know. But that's that's one of the things that I like the most about Matthew and Joe's friendship on this series is because Matthew is he's a little what Jordan he's a little swishy. Is that okay to say? I don't know. He's a little effeminate. Sure. I don't think either of those is false. And Joe is just such a like tough guy, you know, handyman. Handyman. Sure. So I think it's fun that they are friends. That's all. Well, and we already know that Joe has gay friends. He has at least one friend who is flamboyantly gay. Right. Yeah. That's great. Good for him. Yeah. I noticed that Mr. James has his hands in his pockets a lot. I don't know if you've noticed that. I know Mm -hmm. he has, like, kind of baggier pants, but in the last scene, he and Dave are both in their office, and they're both standing there talking to each other with their hands in their pants pockets, and it just struck me as, like, the straightest straight guy conversation Hmm. 
It turns out that most of the budget overrun was due to the traffic helicopter taking Mr. James to Litchfield, Connecticut, hence his feeding the dogs comment in the first scene. Oh, Mr. James says, sounds like we've got a leaky copter. Uh, and then they decide that they're going to increase the budget for the traffic helicopter. One thing I don't quite understand is, like, we established in the first scene that $6,000 is not much money to Mr. James, so why doesn't he just pay for it? I thought that, too. I also thought, like, Dave says that the helicopter is 90%. Right. Right? Which is uh, $5,600? No. $5,400? Yeah, $5,400. Come on, Lisa. Do your mental math. I'm not Lisa. Right? Um... It doesn't ma- it doesn't add up that it would be ninety percent of the six thousand dollars if you add up all the other things the magazine subscriptions and all the limos and everything yeah but yeah the money doesn't quite make sense right. in this episode but the whole point is just why doesn't he just pay the six thousand dollars if it's that much of a problem especially since he's using the copter to go to Connecticut right. I don't know this is not Mr James at his most likable so you have pointed that out and I'm mm-hmm. agreeing with you mm-hmm. all right and that is the end of the episode. The only... Okay, so I wanted to point out that we do have the introduction of a few recurring themes in this episode. So one is <laughs> Mr. James' relationship with Dave's mom. It's not the last time mm. we'll see that. We also learn that Mr. James has a lot of dogs. We learn about Lisa's math skills. Mm-hmm. That will come back. And then <laughs> one of the running themes throughout the show is how poor Beth is. So she says oh, that she can only afford two right. meals a day, and that includes the yogurt. Right. So... Yeah, I feel like this episode does set up a lot of stuff that will kind of continue to be threads throughout the rest of the series in ways that the previous episodes really didn't. Hmm. In terms of analysis of the episode, I just think, and we have gone back and forth about this, I think the most interesting thing about about this episode is Bill's performative, like, reverse sexism. I think... It reminds me of the kind of bad faith arguments you'll see on the internet where people will say, well, if women can do this, then why can't men do this? And right. it's just like, that's right. not, those aren't the same things at right. all. And so it reads different 25 years later. And also I think it just kind of grows a little bit dull toward the end of the episode. Yeah. Just like over and over and over well, again. And I honestly never really bought that. I just didn't buy that Beth would be so overcome and have to kiss him. It was just the moment. Right. I thought that was kind of funny how she said that. But, like, again, I just, I find it hard to buy a romantic moment that would make her so overcome where she would do something like that. Yeah, I guess we're supposed to think that she's very capricious and whimsical and will just kind of do whatever on the spur of the moment. Um, But then why would she feel bad about it? Yeah, that's a great question. But then she feels, like, shamed and, like, feels guilty about it afterward. You know what I mean? Like I think she feels ashamed. I don't think she feels guilty. Maybe she feels ashamed that it was Bill. Maybe, yeah. So one thing that I heard, and I think I'm going to have to attribute this to the Hey Beautiful podcast where they talk about How I Met Your Mother, but in a sitcom like this, you should understand every single character's motivation. Like, you should be able to pin down exactly what each character wants. Mm-hmm. So in this episode, this character wants this thing. Like, right. Dave wants to solve the budget situation. Lisa wants, you know, clarity or safety for Beth. Mm-hmm. What is Bill's motivation in this episode? Like, why is he milking this situation the way that he is? Right. And I just don't understand that. I think he 
must just like acting like a diva or he just likes the attention. I just kind of can't quite put my finger on what's going on. I mean, the only thing I can think, and this is going to get complicated, and I'm not a psychologist, but I could imagine that Bill is attracted to Beth. He wants to hook up with her. He wants to get closer to her, whatever. Let's just say that that's a true thing, right? He really did have like a motive in asking her to lunch that he wanted to um, maybe kiss her or actually do something physical with her, right? Mm -hmm. But he wants to play it cool. Like he doesn't want to show his hand. He's an ego, so he's not going to show too much interest. He's giving giving her something, giving her the opportunity to come to something fancy with him, mm. right? So there's kind of a like push pull of like, I'm going to invite you and show interest in you, but I'm not going to come on to you, and I'm not going to do anything. Like I'm going to let you come to me, right? And so then she does, and kisses him. And then by him pulling back and being like, oh my gosh, that's not what I wanted at all. It keeps him having all of the power, mm. right? It keeps her like in the lesser position. And it almost like if he still has interest in her and still wants to like kiss her or be close to her, it's like he kind of already has in his pocket the, well, I know you kind of like me or I know mm. you kind of want me. So if they're in another situation again like this, he kind of is the one that has the power because she's the one who lost control and she's the one who, you know, showed her hand and he's the one who kept it, it cool. Yeah. That's really smart. I mean, I'm a woman. <laughs> this is the games we play. That's really <laughs> smart. I, I just don't know that I would have thought of anything like that. The only thing that I could think of, um, was that I was kind of, one of the reasons I thought the whole thing with Bill grew a little bit dull was I was expecting one more twist you know, I was expecting one more thing to come out that made us reframe the entire situation in a different mm, way. Sure. So here's what, here's my pitch for what it would have been, was mm -hmm. we find out that the reason that Bill invited Beth was because he has a colleague from a different radio station who, like, likes Beth, and he, Bill wants to use Beth to make that guy jealous. Sure. Or we find out... Um, Something like that. Or like Beth, you know, sees somebody she knew and wants to make that guy jealous. And mm -hmm. that's why she kisses Bill, you know, something like that. Or um, Bill opens up to Beth in a way that's like weird or vulnerable or, you know, the, the kind of like the steel magnolias thing. Like sure. he opens up in a way and then that makes her attracted to him and that's why she kisses him. And then right. she covers for why she kissed him by not telling anybody about that. So I was, I was kind of waiting for one more twist where we sort of like, oh... Like, that's how we take some of the sure. power back from Bill. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? To, like, balance it back out. Mm -hmm. I guess listening to you talk about this, I, I think that's part of what I didn't like about this episode was that it does leave all the power in Bill's hands at the end of the episode. Right. In a way that's really unsatisfying. Right. I mean, like, that's... When you think about... I mean, you and I haven't dated anyone in a while. <laughs> it's been a minute since we've dated anyone. But... Back in the day when I would date, um, I didn't realize it, I think, or I didn't think about it so much at the time, but, like, so much of dating is power dynamics. Yeah. Like, who wants who? Who's the person who wants the other person more? Well, now I don't want you so much. Now I'm not feeling wanted, so now I need to get you back so I can have the upper hand again. But I don't want you to know that I want you because that makes 
me in a weaker position. You know what I mean? Like that's all dating is mm-hmm. and hiding things and hiding how you feel and I don't know, trying to posture. Yeah. Um, and so if that's, and Bill seems like the type of person that would play those games like intensely. Oh, absolutely. You know? Yep. No, that's really interesting. The last thing I want to ask is, in terms of understanding each character's motivation, what is motivating Lisa in this episode? I wondered that too. All I could think was that she, I mean, I do not imagine Lisa and Beth are friends. Like they don't hang out outside of work and like go out for drinks on Saturday night. Like I don't picture them like being people that hang, like maybe they're friendly. Yeah. um, But they're not calling each other up to gab right on the phone. All I could think is that Lisa seems like a, a bit of a protector. Like, she seems like the one who, like, at a party uh, would be the one monitoring everyone's drinking to make sure that they're not getting out of control or driving home, you know? So she seems to have kind of that mom vibe. Mother hen. Right. And so maybe she feels some of that, like, protectiveness toward Beth. Hmm. I mean, there's always, like, you know, in the same way that women are jealous of other women, women also protect other women and they look out for other women. And so, but I was a little surprised that, like, Lisa sees Bill as any type of threat or any type of, I mean, I guess he kind of, he seems like the type of person that someone else could have feelings for him and he would just kind of dismiss it or he could hook up with somebody and then just let them go and not really think about their feelings or be a very empathetic person Hmm. so yeah i think that we see lisa's distrust of bill come out pretty clearly and the only thing i can chalk that up to is that they basically have similar roles at the station i mean she is less of an on-air personality than he is um she's more of a reporter Mm -hmm. rather than a newsreader i think what i was thinking of and you can tell me if you think this is an accurate psychological diagnosis but um i think that she has her own misplaced guilt over the secret office romance that she and dave are having and so she is i don't know what the right term like cathecting or projecting or one of those one of those freudian terms about ensuring that there is no office romance or you know sexual illicit behavior of any kind between bill and beth because she feels some guilt or weirdness about her and Dave mm-hmm. with their own. Mm-hmm. That could be. Like if she, if two other people in the office start having a relationship that might draw attention to like other potential relationships happening in the office. That's even more pragmatic or sort of, you know, game theoretical than I mean it. I just mean that she tries to stop other relationships like that from happening because she was not able to stop it happening between her and dave Mm, sure Eh, it's an idea i don't know listeners write in tell us what you think of our armchair psychologizing do you think we would make good therapists (laughs) do you think we should get honorary degrees keelene it's that time for yo it's the 90s yo it's the 90s So I have a few different things. First is the reference to Blossom, mm-hmm. the 90s sitcom starring Maya Bialik, mm-hmm. um, which ran from 91 to 95. 
Uh, I also wanted to point out Matthew's computer screen. He's got green text on a black background. Mm. And that really rang some bells for me. Actually, I believe the first computer we had, and I could just be making this up. I'd have to maybe ask my dad. But I believe it was more like gold text on a black background. So it was... Yeah, I'm remembering like yellow, yellow gold color and black. That's what I remember. Bill references Rush Limbaugh's keynote speech. I mean, this is Rush Limbaugh at the height Mm -hmm. of his powers in the mid-90s. The whole thing about Publishers Clearinghouse. I put that down too. Yep. And the last one is something that happens in the very last scene. There is a reference to 976 numbers. Mr. James mentions that Dave was able to block those from the office. What are 976 numbers? Do you actually not know? I actually don't know. I think they're like phone sex numbers. Okay. I think so. Well, I know like 1900. 900 numbers, yes. 1900. So 1800 numbers were always like toll free. Right. Right. 1900 numbers you had to like pay per minute. Usually they were like. Tolled numbers. Right. Like. Toll based. Sex lines yep. or um, like psychics. Joke of the day. Sure. Uh. And actually, I thought that's what Matthew was going to be spending his money on. I thought that was Matthew's budget overrun was that he was like calling a joke of the day line or something. That's actually a plot line on Full House. That's what I think I was getting it confused with, to be honest. Right. So I think that that's what 976 numbers are, but I don't know for sure. So we're left to infer that Mr. James tried calling a 976 number from the office and found that they had been blocked. Because he'd been doing it in the past frequently. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's it for 90s references. Now it is time for the game. The topic of this game, Kayleen. I'm ready. Is dresses. Dresses? Dresses. Are any of them blue? Maybe. <laughs> okay. And uh, I had to interpret dresses a little bit broadly on some of these questions, but uh, I tried to home in on just dresses all right okay so question number one this performer wore a mini dress with the union jack that is the flag of the united kingdom on the front to the 1997 brit awards ginger spice very good jerry hollowell yeah yeah nice tell me what you want what you really really want i want you to answer question number two (laughs) This actress wore a black Givenchy dress in an early 60s romantic comedy, which is cited as one of the most iconic items of clothing in the 20th century. Ooh. Is it like Breakfast at Tiffany's? Audrey Hepburn something? Ding, 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 ding. Really? Yeah, very nice. Nicely done. This is recorded as possibly the most famous little black dress of all time. Mm Mm-hmm. It's super cute. Yep. Question number three. The Tarkhan dress is the world's oldest known woven garment. It's from Egypt about 5,000 years ago, and it's made from this material. I mean, I know, like, they're obviously papyrus is, like, what they would write on. This uh, is the Lady Gaga of the <laughs> ancient Egypt right. period, so she's wearing, a, she's wearing a papyrus dress. Well, that's what I'm like, what, I mean, is papyrus the type of thing like, you know, like hemp or bamboo that you can make it into paper, you can make it into cloth, you can make it into, I don't know if papyrus is like that. I'm going to guess papyrus. Incorrect. Ah. It's linen. Okay. It's really cool that a linen garment has lasted for yeah. 5,000 years. 
Question number four. This is a, one of those interpreting the word dress a little bit broadly. So-called plain dress worn by any of these religious groups is of traditional modest design, sturdy fabric, and conservative cut. I assume this must be like Mennonite or Amish. Very good. Yeah. So I have any of the Anabaptists, which are Amish, Mennonite, Hutterite, and then also some fundamentalist Mormons will wear it. Yeah, I've heard like they can't have zippers. Mm. I think the level of strictness really depends on the individual denomination. Mm. I read this on Wikipedia. I think it's really interesting. Plain dress is intended to emphasize acceptance of traditional gender roles, modesty, and readiness to work and serve, and to preserve communal identity and separation from the immodest, ever-changing fashions of the world. Yeah, I mean, I can understand. Like, yeah, it's, like, like, it's like uniform. Yeah, I just mm-hmm. thought that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the conservative cut. It always just looks like... <laughs> It just looks like it does not fit, no matter, no matter what. It's just clothing for paper dolls. Yeah. That's how, they, that's how they make a pattern. Question number five. This entertainer wore a green Versace silk shoe. J-Lo. Very good. I know about dresses. I was like, I wonder if the J-Lo dress is going to come up. It was beautiful. I still remember. It's a gorgeous dress. To the Grammy Awards ceremony yeah. in 2000. Yeah. Very nice. It had like one little clasp down like on her chest. If I remember correctly, either Trey Parker or Matt Stone wore mm-hmm. the same dress yep. the next year or the year after. Yes. That's pretty funny. Yes. All right. Question number six. The so-called Travolta dress was named after the person this woman danced with while wearing it. Ah. Be the Travolta dress or the John Travolta dress. Is it something to do with like Saturday Night Fever? Wasn't he in that? He was in that. I mean, I know there's, like, dancing in that movie, but I've never seen it. John Travolta. Oh! Well, okay. There's, like, Grease. But she doesn't really wear, like, a dress in that movie. I'll just say Olivia Newton-John. Good guess. I like where your head is at. This is actually Diana, Princess of Wales. She was at some oh. some fancy function, and John Travolta was also there, and they danced oh. together, and she was wearing this oh, okay. um, dress that was very beautiful, and it got nicknamed, of course, after the man she was dancing with. Yeah. She, I mean, a lot of her clothing was very... There's whole exhibits of her clothing. It was very, like, iconic. Question number seven. According to tradition, women are expected to wear black with a high collar and long sleeves under this circumstance. But certain female royalty have the privilege du blanc, i.e. the privilege of wearing white instead. I would assume if they're widowed, like if their spouse passes away. Is that your answer? Yeah. Or they go to a funeral? Oh, incorrect. That was a tricky question. Ah. It is meeting with the Pope. Oh. Apparently you are supposed to, if you're a woman, you are supposed to wear black to show modesty, and then you're supposed to wear a high collar and long sleeves okay. because you're meeting with clergy. Right. But certain royalty have the privilege of wearing white instead. But they still have to wear high collar and long sleeves. Uh, good question. <laughs> I'm not sure. Question number eight. This iconic dress was worn to the 2001 Academy Awards by a nominee for Best Original Song. I have no problem. 2001? Ooh. I mean, I'm trying to think of people who had, like, famous dresses. You said the... Oh, it's the Academy Awards. Sorry, I was thinking Grammys. Okay. 
But oh wait, it's a musician though for best original song. So it'd be a musician's dress. Lady Gaga wasn't a thing yet in 2001. Celine Dion. You're going to kick yourself. Oh, what is it? That would be Bjork's swan dress. Oh, gosh. That's right. She was nominated for best original song for the film Dancer in the Dark. Okay. I was thinking about, I was thinking of Titanic, Mm. but Celine Dion doesn't, I don't know if, I don't know when Titanic came out. I'm guessing early 2000s. 96. Oh, man. Okay. Never mind. Maybe 97, somewhere in there. But yeah, Celine Dion doesn't have any like famous dresses. Yeah, the swan dress. It's so funny that like that dress is considered iconic when like now nobody would look twice at that. I mean, people would be like, huh. That's different. Yeah. Did you know that her purse was an egg? Yes. <laughs> That's that really cute. cute. Yeah. All right. Question number nine. The pattern of lace on this wedding dress includes the national flowers of England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. Oh my God. Um, I'm going to assume it is Elizabeth's wedding dress. Elizabeth II's wedding dress. Queen Elizabeth II? Yeah. Ah, incorrect. That would be Kate Middleton's wedding dress. Oh, I was wondering if like maybe they did that symbolically as like, uh, we are four nations and one, you know what I mean? But I thought like Elizabeth would have done that, but you know what? She wasn't even like, like she got married and then later on was like found out she was going to be queen. Hmm. I yeah. think. I'm pretty sure that's the order things happened. <laughs> I was yeah, gonna guess was Kate, Kate Middleton. It was Kate Middleton's dress. I loved her wedding dress. I thought it was so pretty. Yeah. It was so classy. I just thought that was really cool that it incorporates the national flowers. Yeah. Yeah. Question number ten. A twenty fifteen viral phenomenon centered on a lace dress with what mm. unusual property? Uh, was it blue or was it blue and black or white and gold? Correct. That was the quote unquote, the dress, which appeared to different people as black and blue or white and gold. Do you remember how you saw it? I saw it as black and blue. Same. And I've looked at it uh, several times since just to try to see if I could see it differently and I still only see it as black and blue. Yeah, I, I know the lighting is weird in the photograph which made people think that like there was some filter or weird lighting situation but no, it just looks black and blue to me. Yeah, I'm the same. All right. Nice job, Kayleen. You got four. I thought I got more than that. <laughs> I thought you would too. Oh, man. Oh. Well, I tried. You seemed less baffled by some of the questions. I felt like I had better guesses this you did. time around. That's, that's a much nicer way to say <laughs> yeah. what I was trying to say. You had better guesses, yeah. All right, so that's the game. Now is this section in our show where we give recommendations. Would you like to go first or would you like me to? Um, you go first. All right, so I am getting a lot of the information for these games from good old Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. I am a member contributor to Wikipedia. I do give a little bit of money each month just mm-hmm. because I think it's like a good project and I want to see it, you know, continue. Um, I am actually going to recommend a related entity phenomenon, and this is an Instagram account called Depths of Wikipedia. So there is a woman who runs this account, and every once in a while she will just post weird articles that exist in the world of wikipedia so one 
for example, would be um, Salish Sea Human Foot Discoveries. That is like, there's a particular place in British Columbia, and Washington State, where human feet have been washing up. Oh my god. Yeah. That's terrifying. Yeah. And do you know what it is? No. They, They think most of the time it's people who have committed suicide. Yeah. And their whole body decomposes except for their shoes. Oh. Which keep the feet preserved. Okay. And that's why they just the feet. Gosh, that's up. still horrific. I wonder if that's where the superstore running gag comes from. Oh. Eh. I mean, it's got some sort of uh, it's got some sort of real historical precedent. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I check out depths of Wikipedia. They just really make my day just to see these like weird things that some lunatic somewhere decided to commit to Wikipedia. I'm just looking at a couple of topics they posted here. Sexuality of Jesus. It's the Wikipedia article. Hmm. Is the idea that, like, maybe he wasn't heterosexual? <laughs> I mean, I think there's been a lot of speculation on his... Sure. Whether he is a sexual being or what kind of sexuality <sighs> he has. Another post is Another River, which is a stream in Alaska. Another River was so named in 1927 because geologists had apparently already named so many rivers. <laughs> He <laughs> came across another river in Alaska and called it, capital A, another river. They had a long day when they named that one. One more example of depths of Wikipedia, dog surfing. A type of surfing maneuver involving dogs that are trained to surf on surfboards, bodyboards, skimboards, etc. I've seen people that have like their dog, yeah, on their surfboard. I've seen that before. Yep. Check out depths of Wikipedia. It just makes me very, very happy. All right, what is your recommendation? All right, my recommendation is really lame compared to yours. I'm kind of embarrassed about it now. Well, then pick another one if you want to take a couple minutes to think. No, I'm just going to... I'm somebody who puts it out there. So Jordan and I like pizza. Anyone who knows us knows that that, that's a thing. A few years ago, we had bought some frozen cheese pizzas, and I had the idea to put our own toppings on it. And I just thought, like, I've told, like, six or seven people about this, and they're like, that's really smart. So these are the, like, basic, yeah, like basic plain, cheese pizzas yeah. from Costco. Yeah, but you could get a plain cheese pizza from anywhere. I do this sometimes at Papa Murphy's. I'll just, like, get a plain cheese pizza, and then I bring it home, and then I put my own toppings on top mm-hmm. of it, and you make it how you want, and then you save a little bit of money, and you get the pizza you actually want. And I had talked to a few people about this, and they had never, like, considered that, like, oh, you can totally do that. Yep. And it makes it better and slightly more interesting. So that's a recommendation, like, to just zhuzh up your pizzas a little if you're a frozen pizza connoisseur. Um, the other thing I saw on TikTok that I haven't done, but if anyone even listens to this and is willing to do it, I should do it, too. I want to see if it's any good. I saw several TikToks where people would take green grapes and cut them in half and then dip them in lime juice and then they would eat it and they said it tasted like a green jolly rancher it sounds crazy right that sounds nuts yeah i want to try it and i i have not found anyone yet who's actually done it and the same as long as we're talking about grapes i have heard that frozen grapes are delicious we should put, we have grapes in the fridge. Not anymore. I ate them all. Oh. <laughs> um, I've heard from a few different people. You should put your grapes in the freezer and then you just eat them like as a snack and they are good. I imagine them being super hard, like as hard as ice cubes, but maybe that's just no, like No, I think that they get more like slushy inside. I mm. know. 
So yeah. my recommendations are kind of questions and kind of food related. It's a weird night. It's a weird night. Uh, that's that's what I got. Okay. Add toppings to your cheese pizzas and watch TikTok for more suggestions on strange food combinations. All right. Now is the time in the show where we give our ratings. Kayleen, what should the units be? My suggestion, corsages, Ferris wheels. <laughs> Not a Ferris wheel. <laughs> How about leaky helicopters? Bottles of nail polish. Going way back to the beginning. Yeah. Um, no, we can do leaky helicopters. All That's right. Good. On a scale of one to five leaky copters, what rating do you give this episode? Mm, I would say a 3.5. Yeah, any reason? It wasn't the best one I've seen so far, but it wasn't the worst. Yeah, I am going to give it three leaky copters. Um, I feel like it's kind of a trifle. There just isn't that much... I want to say there isn't that much going on. It's, It's not super funny, but... Clearly, we've had a lot to talk about with it, and I have thought about this episode and, and in particular, some of the characters' motivations quite a bit. Hmm. So, yeah, I'll give it three. So three and a half from Kayleen and three from me. All right, that is the end of the episode. For next time, watch Season 1, Episode 7, Sweeps Week, which is the last episode of Season 1. Are you excited? Yeah, you said that it's like a popular episode. Um, I'm not sure I said that. I think you're going to like it. Okay. I don't remember it super well, but I think you're going to like it. Great. Well, you think I'm going to like this show. I do. I don't like it yet. Oh. <laughs> really? I would not say it is a show that I like. I would not say it is a show that I think is bad. It's still very, like, vanilla to me. It's like vanilla ice cream. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, if it's around, I might have some. But I'm not going to get excited about it. Sure. I am excited to get into season two. Okay. I am. I think there are some classic episodes in season two that I'm excited to watch with you. I'm a little afraid I'm going to let you down. In terms of just not liking it at yeah. all? Yeah. I think... Like, you know... I, I don't want to give too much away. Like, you know that I can't not be honest. No, like, I'm I not want... going to say I like something when I don't like it. That's why I have you on. That's what I love about you is that <laughs> I, you are perfectly honest. Yeah. I think that there will be some things in seasons two and three. Maybe four. Maybe five. I, I, I honestly don't remember. How many seasons are there? Five. Oh, my God. Okay. Where maybe it won't, like, make you roll on the floor laughing, but we're going to have a lot to talk about. Okay. Buckle up. Yep. So next week, Watch Sweeps Week. It's our last episode for the season. Okay. As always, you can reach out to us on social media. For WKJP News Radio, this is Jordan. And Kayleen. Signing off. The theme music for WKJP News Radio is the song You Say But You Don't Know by the band Troubles Afoot. You can check them out on Spotify, Bandcamp, Apple Music, or wherever you find new music. Special thanks to Uncle Keith for our use of equipment and technical support. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, you can reach out to us at WKJPPod on Twitter or Instagram. You can also email us at WKJPPod at gmail.com. If you like our show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts to help us find other listeners like you. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening.